Welcome back to another episode of Questions with Crocker with me, Dr. Crocker, and my husband, Shane. Hi. Hi. Are you ready for this? I think so. We've been off for a little bit. We had the Thanksgiving holiday. It was a long, relaxing weekend, saw lots of good movies, had family in, and our dog only threw up twice. So I know of. <laughs> he definitely cleaned up everything off the floor, and I tried my best to keep him out of stuff, uh, but he definitely had an upset stomach a little bit, so... That was fun. Hopefully, all Didn't of y'all just do a video on pancreatitis. <laughs> we did. We had a viral video happen uh, from the vet clinic that we own, Alta Vista Animal Hospital, on TikTok, and people were angry that we said, "Don't feed your animal your Thanksgiving dinner." Well, they could have came and cleaned up, throw up. I know. So we call uh, the day after Thanksgiving, which is always Friday, Brown Friday. Because we get the most like vomiting diarrhea dogs coming in on that day. And so it's just a thing that's known in veterinary medicine. So I thought we were being nice by letting people know, do not feed your dog like the high fat, you know, foods that they're not used to eating from Thanksgiving. Uh, but people literally were like, my dog gets its own plate. I'm not going to keep it from my dog. And I was like, all right, I guess it's just job security at this point. <laughs> all I can do is put the information out there in the world and either people choose to follow it or not. So, sure. um, but yes, it was a great holiday. Hopefully everyone else had a good holiday with their pets and everyone is healthy uh, for the most part. I also got to go on the news and talk about uh, pet safety over the holidays uh, for Thanksgiving. And I enjoy doing news, I don't know, interviews. Would you ever want to do that? No. Zero desire. <laughs> Can you tell in this relationship that I'm the extrovert and you're the introvert? <laughs> the other day I met someone and I was like, they're so nice. We should totally hang out with them. And what did you say? I'm sure I said no. I've got enough friends. <laughs> That's what you said exactly. You said, I have friends. I'm like, well, we can always make more friends. No desire. I'm good. Nothing. Oh, man. Okay. So today we have a good uh, question that I think is one that both you and I can really speak to and have perspectives on. Uh, the way the podcast works is we take your questions and we answer them with our little knowledge and information. Neither of us are experts, but I'm an emergency veterinarian and we also own a general practice vet hospital together. So we know a little bit of something about things. Um, first though, I want to talk about a little TikTok tea. So this is a segment that I had told you about just talking about things that uh, I see on social media. I will be honest, I pretty much get my news off of social media Very reliable. these days because Very I don't want- reliable watch source. Okay, Very so accurate. There's there's two reasons for this. One, nobody watches real TV anymore. Like I don't watch news shows. Your parents do, right? But I don't watch like the news because we stream. Like we don't have regular stations we that have, I watch. We have regular news TV stations. We do on there? I thought we just had like streaming things. No. Oh, okay. Well, apparently I could have watched the news, but I don't. So pretty much I catch up on things through social media and things people are posting and talking about. And then sometimes I'll go and like look at them more at length. But that is how I, I find out a lot of, about a lot of things in the world. And there's just so much information out there. So I don't think there's any way to know everything. But there's been some things that have been pretty prominent and active on TikTok. So one uh, is something that I still can't wrap my head around. So apparently in the UK, they have instituted an extra large bully breed ban. So over in Europe, the parameters and restrictions around 
Owning dogs and breeding them are much stricter than here in the U.S. Uh, You have to have license to breed. Uh, Most people have purebred dogs. There's not a ton of what we would consider mutts. There's not a ton of strays because it's just a highly regulated thing, uh, which I think has a lot of benefits because if you look at the, the issues we deal with here, there's a lot of value in doing that, right? But also, when you get the government involved in something like breeding of dogs, uh, there can be things happen. And so over there, they decided that XL bully breeds, uh, so it would be really large dogs, um, are going to be restricted from now on. And so there's a lot of questions around how is this even like okay? And some people are saying it's ethical and moral because these dogs don't have good quality of life. They think some of them are dangerous, which I would disagree with. Um, I think any dog can be dangerous. It's not a breed-specific thing. But obviously, when you have a really, really large dog that is dangerous, that can be more difficult than, let's say, like a geriatric chihuahua, right? So the government said they're banning them. And what they did is offered for people who have them currently um, to actually put them to sleep. And they would pay them to put them to sleep. So as a veterinarian now in the UK, you can have somebody walk in and basically say, yes, I want to put my completely healthy dog to sleep because of the breed that they are, which I will be honest. And vets over there have said that they can decline to do it, but I wouldn't be able to do that. Like even if the government says like you can't have this breed, I can't put a healthy pet to sleep that has shown no signs of aggression, has shown no issues just because of the breed they are. Like that's just so against everything that I think we stand for as veterinarians. So it puts people in like a really difficult situation, whether you're, you know, the is owners. Is it a drop dead hard date? Like you can't have them after this date or is it like phased out over the next five years? Yeah. So they're actually, the date's really short. They're working up to December 31st. Um oh, wow. And that is when you cannot breed them anymore. Uh, you're not supposed to really own them anymore. Um, you can't ship them. And so December 31st is when they're putting a hard Has stop. Has anybody verified this data? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody in the UK that listens to our podcast, there's got to be at least uh, one person. <laughs> so, Verify yeah, this is true. There's a lot of actually really great veterinarians um, who have spoken up about this, like Kat the Vet, uh, Dr. Scott on uh, TikTok, and they've given good information about it. Hmm. And... They verified this is a thing. Um, Now, I think there's a lot of people fighting it and hoping to kind of change it, loosen some of the regulations, um, and speaking to the fact that you can't blanket statement an entire breed with certain characteristics, right? Um, So I am not – no, I am not fully, fully informed on the whole thing. I am informed through social media But it is happening. It's something people can look up and definitely something that I don't ever see happening here in the United States. What do you think? I would be very surprised. I think that we are too much about freedom and personal choice here to ever have someone tell us, like, you have to put a certain breed of dog to sleep. Now, certain cities have said they have bans on, like, let's say pit bulls. And that's been fought, actually, pretty regularly, too. So I think that um, it's just shocking to me. And it's really sad honestly, um, because I don't think it's fair to the dogs who didn't choose to be bred and choose to be taken care of for them to have to like suffer for this. I think the people who are doing it, you could crack down on them and on the regulations with them. But I don't think putting the dogs to sleep is. Yeah, you think you I mean, there's probably something against aggressive dogs, right? But yes, you think that you can push that further and put it back on the the pet owners that if they have an aggressive dog that, that they know is aggressive and it attacks somebody, there's some s- severe penalties for that owner. So maybe they take precaution before it turns into something violent. I don't know. 
And that's the interesting thing is, so here in the States, dogs are considered property. So if a dog attacks someone, uh, there is some issues, especially if you knew that they were aggressive, that you can get in trouble. But it's not like you go to jail for a really, really long time, right? I think it's like a big fine. And so there's not a huge thing that's going to discourage people from having these dogs. So I think that this is an extreme move to ban a complete breed, but it's definitely happening. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. The other uh, thing that is hot, hot, hot news all over social media is the mysterious respiratory illness in dogs. Uh, And I was one of the veterinarians that did a video about this. Speaking of dogs, ours is apparently seeing something outside he needs to look at right now. But I was one of the vets that did speak about this because last year around this time, we had a huge respiratory outbreak here in Texas. Uh, In the ER, we were having, like, we ran out of space for these dogs. We didn't have anywhere to put them because they're highly contagious. We're having to put rooms that are just infectious respiratory pets um, and just all of them on oxygen, pretty severe pneumonias. So what we were seeing is our normal kind of what is called canine infectious respiratory complex. So our normal disease we kind of see each year was just much worse and not responding to medications. Well, now we're hearing reports this year of it happening in a lot of different states. And we haven't specifically seen the big outbreak in Texas, uh, but California, Oregon, Illinois, uh, Florida, Colorado, those are some of the states that I've heard from. And those dogs coming coughing, you normally would say, we're going to put you on this antibiotic They respond and get better, but instead they're rapidly declining, developing pneumonia, and some are dying. Sounds like COVID. (laughs) So interesting you say that. Anything you put on social media, there's going to be people all over the place. So the big conspiracy right now is, yes, people saying this is dog COVID. um, That has to be what it is. And everyone's like, are you testing for it? Yes, there's COVID tests being done. Like a lot of the labs are very interested to see if COVID becomes a thing in pets. And so there are, if you're sending in samples, there's quite a few labs that are testing for COVID. Also, we have not seen it that any of the strains we're testing for are coming up positive. Uh, What's more interesting though, is this labs samples we're sending out are coming back negative for a lot of the normal things that we get. So we normally get like, this is Bordetella, which is kennel cough. Uh, We see mycoplasma, we see the flu, and we're getting a lot of negatives on those. So I think there's just a big question mark of, is this just a bad virus that's turning into an infectious pneumonia? Um, is it our regular kennel cough that we see and just not responding and maybe is hardier than it normally was before? M- lots more questions and answers. Um, but the internet is blown up with it. And poor pet owners, I mean, I did say try to avoid areas where you don't know if the dogs are vaccinated. You can't, you know, stay away from coughing dogs. So if you don't need to board your dog, you don't need to go to grooming and leave them there. Like, don't do it because we just don't know. And it does seem to spread rapidly when it hits an area. Um, But there's people that are like, can I walk my dog down the sidewalk? Um, Can I go to dog parks? Can I like very specific things? So here is, I'm just going to give like overall advice. My advice would be if you're worried about the mysterious canine respiratory infection going around is you call your veterinarian, you see if it's even in your area And you see what they recommend because it is so location dependent. I also think if your dog is not up to date on vaccines, 
get them vaccinated because you don't want other diseases that could make this worse potentially. Um, And also, if you board or groom, contact those facilities and say, what are your restrictions on coughing dogs? Have you had any outbreaks in your facility? What are your requirements for dogs coming in? What happens if the dog comes in and starts coughing while it's boarding? Do you have an isolation area? So just like set yourself up for success. Um, but unfortunately, we still don't know enough to give people like surefire ways to avoid this. I mean, this. we should be able to train their dogs to cover their mouth and they cough. <laughs> little dog mask. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. That's that's the next big big idea is doggy mask and they can just wear it around and not spread it to, to any other dogs. I'm just saying. Oh, man. Okay, so let's get into this question today. Uh, the TikTok tea is over. Um, I've gotten this question from a couple different people and I actually had it saved and I can't find it right now. Um, but I had a user send me a message and say, can you talk about the differences of working for a private practice versus a corporation? I think this is a very great question for me specifically, um, and I'll get into why. But I also think it's a good question for you because we both have career histories where we've kind of been more in a corporate setting and also in a private setting. So why don't you go through first like your quick career experience and your perspective on um, corporations versus uh, private-owned businesses? I think probably the biggest thing for me working in corporations, working for corporations, working for smaller businesses is probably more around the decision-making. So in a large corporate setting, t- decision-making can usually take a long time. There's different channels. There's different people that have to vote. You know, a, a good idea can take a long time to actually get implemented and put in place. In a smaller private setting, typically decisions are made fast um, and things are put in place pretty quickly. The other would be meetings. I think in corporate environment, I spent most of my time just in meetings. So you would meet and then quickly follow that up with the next meeting, follow up with a phone call, follow up with the next meeting. So you weren't really actually getting things done besides inefficient meetings. And a smaller Setting a lot of times, again, maybe that goes back to decision-making. Decisions are made quick. So you have a meeting, you make a decision, you go to the next meeting, you make a decision. And corporate environments, I feel like you do a lot of talking and not a lot of doing sometimes. And your specific experience was you were kind of in finance, banking, uh, got into what? Like healthcare, technology, technology, consultation, all corporate America. At points you were driving like an hour to an office and yes, always in meetings. I remember you would come home and say, we literally have a meeting just to say like, what are we going to talk about the next meeting and no decisions. Yeah, I mean, my whole calendar would be blocked. I mean, there'd be different color blocks and different meetings you'd have to be on. I would actually, I was one of those probably a little bit rebellious, but if I'm in the middle of a meeting and it doesn't pertain to me, even though I was invited, I just get up and leave. If I don't, I'm not adding value or it's just a waste of time, then I don't stick around to Listen, does that make sense? I do think it is tricky because you have just so many people. And so getting decisions made and then also disseminating information can be a lot tougher. And everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to say their two cents and make their mark, make their mark, whether it's adding value to the meeting or not. So I think there's somebody, I can't remember if it was Elon Musk or Mark Cuban or somebody. Um, I need to research this, but they don't have any meetings where you have chairs. You basically come in, everybody's standing so that you're not getting comfortable and the meetings would go quicker. And That's interesting. Um, I think one of them made the point that if you're not adding value to this meeting, then don't be here, leave. So I can't remember who that was. I need to research that. But there are some outside-the-box thinkers that have said, you know, this is a complete 
suck of time to go mm-hmm. sit in meetings all day without getting anything accomplished. So maybe corporations are changing, but I don't know. I did read a couple uh, good like leadership books about that too, and they were saying the same sort of thing. And also the way they structure meetings uh, was just very intentional, like with the questions they brought and like basically this is the problem. We're fixing it today. We have this amount of time. You know, everyone has this long to talk about it, and then we're going to vote. And it was just like a very structured approach because they found that there'd be a lot of talk and no action, uh, which was very – it just doesn't – give value in any way, shape, or form. And I have been in meetings where you have really good leaders that when they come to the meeting, there are specific bullet points, topics that you're talking about. And then at the end, somebody recaps very quickly what this meeting entailed, who's doing what, and when the follow-ups are going to take place. Those meetings actually, I think, accomplish stuff because you have an action plan and a timeline attached to it. But I bet 90% of the meetings I was in were just you know, open-ended and you probably talk about the same thing next week, you know? And so I think it's a little different in veterinary medicine. Um, My experience has been, I was actually very anti-corporation before I joined the corporation I'm with, Veterinary Emergency Group, because I was a private practice person. I felt like having people who had um, skin in the game, who understood the industry, um, whose main priority was really to like help pets um, and it wasn't to pay off investors. I just, I didn't see how you could do both. And so I was very like pro-private practice and I still am because we own a private practice. But I think I've come to understand a little bit more like the benefit of certain corporations when it's done right. And one of the biggest things I would say to people who are like very like anti-corporation or, you know, private practice is there's no perfect one. No. So I know a ton of corporations that don't do a great job, don't take care of their people, um, prioritize numbers over people. Uh, and and you can see that in the turnover they have and, you know, the things they have to do to recruit, right? I know a ton of private practices that don't take care of their, you know, team, that don't pay well, uh, that don't have boundaries with clients. And so there's no like one way that, works for everybody and is a great practice. And until that happens, like until you see every corporation being great and doing it right, or every private practice being great and doing it right, I don't think it's right to say like, I hate this or I hate that one, right? So I think having an open mind about is there value to each type of one and why would someone go work at one versus the other is important to just like start this conversation. Because if you just come from a place of like, these people are evil. Like you're never going to listen, right, to to why. Some people might want to work for them. So when we're – Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's very personality driven too. I mean – Yes. Um, Just like the point you just made, I may be an, an, a veterinarian that wants to wear two hats, right? Maybe I want to help manage and I'll also want to be a veterinarian. Um, A private practice, a small private practice might be a good fit for that type of person. That's a positive, right? Somebody, a veterinarian, may want to just be a veterinarian and not do anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be, you know, a, a not a benefit for them. So I think it's very personality driven, specific to what you want or what you need 
out of a practice. Well, and, you know, financially also, there's very big differences sometimes in private versus um, corporate practices. So as a veterinarian, yes, you can definitely go work at either and you can just show up and work and do your job and leave. Um, And there's nothing else you really have to do, especially if you're not an owner of a practice or you're not in management or leadership. I still think there's big differences. And since this question was specifically about like working for them, I'm going to try to stay away from kind of the management leadership side of each and owner side of things, even though I think owning a private practice is a great financial benefit and gives you flexibility in life. That's still debatable. (laughs) In the middle of a renovation, we might not want to say that. But for the most part, practice ownership, I think, is where it's at. And if anyone wants to talk about that ever, reach out to me. But I do want to talk about working for each one. So pro-wise, let's get into it on private practice side. Um, I think on that side of things, one of the biggest things is what you said, which is kind of like a little more independence and ownership in like the flexibility of your schedule, how you practice, having a smaller practice where you can kind of define things for yourself and not being, I don't want to say dictated to, but not having like standards and parameters around what you do is really freeing as a veterinarian. And they've shown that burnout can be contributed to by not being able to practice how you want. And so, and not having that time outside of practice that you, you know, get to fill your cup. And so I do think sometimes in a smaller practice, uh, you have that ability a little bit better. Um, The other big thing I think is there's always a chance of ownership. So, you know, if you join a corporation, yes, you can go up like the leadership management route, but you're never going to like own the hospital. You're never going to be the one in charge. And if you have an owner mentality, I definitely think as a a single veterinarian, you need to be in private practice if you want to be an owner in the long run. Um, And the decision making to me is huge. I mean, we as a doctor team at our practice, you know, and even in practices that I was at before, if we went to a conference and we found out about this like really cool new medication that, you know, was going to help and was really beneficial. We, I literally could come back and say, like, look at this, look at the data. This is great. And we could call our drug rep, get it in the hospital and start using it. That does not happen in a corporate setting. Uh, and so I think being able to just have those conversations and make those decisions quicker and implement things is is very, very valuable. Um, on the corporate side of things, what do you think some of the pros would be working for a corporation? I think potentially more structure. Right. They've already kind of worked some of the kinks out with, um, you know, how they structure things, how they set up appointments, how the workflows, you know, is done. So there's a little bit more structure, I would assume, in a corporate practice, probably access to more toys, you know, access to more diagnostic tools that you may not have otherwise. Um, I don't know. I mean, resources is a huge one. So access, yes, to some of the bigger things. Um, And then also access is just to like continuing education. Um, Veg has like free, unlimited continuing education. So I can go and learn as much as I want and grow my skill set. Same thing for our um, support team. And so they also can go and learn as much as they want. And, you know, in a private practice, I would love to say that I could support everyone doing that and and the cost of it, but I can't. Like, I have to put a limit on it. Um, And I feel like we're pretty generous with our CE package, but that is something that um, 
is a little different. Um, and even the subscriptions that I have to Vin and to Vet Girl and to all the other resources online that they pay for, um, that I don't have to pay for, um, is really, really great. So I do think that's it. And in general, uh, the benefits are just yeah pay and benefit package i mean i it's hard to match them so let's so let's talk about for a second we just got health insurance at our private practice how much are we paying i don't know (laughs) i don't want to look at it anymore (laughs) but like in general it's painful like it is a very large chunk of money and really not Anything that we can say we're spending this money and we are going to like make money off of this, right? But it's an investment in the people that work for us. We specifically wanted to get some people on board that we knew it was really beneficial for them, not just to have any insurance, but to have like a high quality insurance. Yeah, I think I think that's just the core of who we are, right? I, I think the core is we can't build a business without good people. And you can't get good people without offering them the benefits they need to support their family. Mm-hmm. So it's just a Something that has to be done. So health insurance, I think, is something not all private practices can offer. Um, I would say for every job that I worked as an associate veterinarian, I did not have health insurance offered to me. Um, fortunately, you worked in corporate America and we got it through your business. Um, but we wouldn't have had it otherwise. Or at some point we did do MediShare for a little bit because we didn't have other options. And so it's not something that every private practice can afford to do. Um, and it is something that most people are looking for. So it's a hiring tool, but also something that's beneficial for your team. CE is another benefit, obviously, but there's even more like maternity, uh, disability, um, mental health benefits. Uh, there's exercise. So, you know, I can get money to join a gym and to be healthier. Um, so there's there's added benefits there's that you wouldn't think about. And honestly, I can't afford to do. Bonuses are another big thing. Some private practices can't afford to give a big sign-on bonus, probably not as big as the corporations can do. So financially and benefits-wise, you just can't really compete. Um, most private practices can't compete. I'll say it that way. I think there's some that probably can um, because of how big they are and where they're set up. But in general, in my experience, corporations have knocked it out of the park with benefits versus private practices. And that is huge to some people. I, th- I mean, that's definitely a positive, right? But that comes with a cost. You know, as an employee, you may have to work longer hours. You may not have the flexibility. Like there's other... Like, yes, it's a pro that you get those added benefits and additional salary, but there's going to be a trade-off somewhere, right? So Very true. So a lot of those things do come with non-competes, not at Veg, but other companies that come in with non-competes. They come with parameters around, like you said, like how much you work, the hours you work. Whereas at a private practice, like I can say, this is your salary, this is what you're getting. And oh, you have a sick kid. Okay, that's fine. And you don't have to like make the day up in the future. Um, Oh, you need vacation. Great. Let's just schedule it. It's not something that has to be like so strict um, because I don't really feel like one that's helpful for a team in general but also i don't want it to be like a tit for tat like i gave you this so you i deserve to get this from you i'm hoping that you know the team appreciates that and as an associate veterinarian i appreciated everything that you know a practice owner gave me but i also don't want anyone to feel 
like indentured yeah. <laughs> basically uh, to me. I want them to want to work there because they love it um, and they want to show up and they want to work hard um, because they just love what they do and they love the value they're bringing. Now, in that regard, I think that's something corporations can do really well is having a practice that is new, different, and getting like that idea out there. Um, so if I want to work emergency and I want to work in an open concept, there's very few places that I can work right now. And Veg is the place that I can work. And they are popping up locations everywhere. And I think it's great to show that there's a different way of practicing emergency. Some people don't love it. And we did a whole podcast episode on it, right? Um, but the ability that they have to say, we have this idea, we've, like you said, hammered it out. It's really like clean the way that we have it. And we're now going to take it to other places and share it. That's harder to do as a private practice. Um, and it's harder to find that in a private practice setting, like people that are being innovative or thinking outside the box, not saying it's not out there, but I think it's a little bit harder. Yeah. And on those same lines, you know, a pro for a corporate uh, environment is they typically have multi-location, right? Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to move to a different area or transfer to a different location without having to quit a job and go find a new job, a lot of times there's ability to move around and have some flexibility in where you're actually working. Right. And they'll help cover moving costs and also licensing costs a lot of times, um, or at least Veg does. And so that's really helpful to not have to worry about those things and have somebody help walk you through that. Um, because unfortunately, veterinary licenses don't you know, transfer across state lines uh, easily. And so that can be really, really difficult. So I do think there's pros and cons to both. Now, the con side of things, I think the smaller the practice and a private practice um, maybe can lend itself to a little more toxicity or even being like trapped in the like way things used to be and not being able to get out of like a certain cycle, right? Um, And corporate entities, they also can have toxic locations. But I I probably heard of more small private practices that had that because they just had like one or two people and those one or two people made such a big difference in like a small group, right? And they were so scared to lose anybody or have any change happen that they just were stuck. Um, whereas I think if you're part of a bigger group and especially one that's like innovative and wanting things to be a certain way, there's hopefully a little bit less of that where one person can like affect the culture so much, um, and change it to such like a negative place. Again, not saying there's not toxic locations in both. Um, but I do think that can be a con with just a smaller group of people in a single private practice. What are some other cons you can think about for either of them? Are there any? Yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch. And again, I think it's very personality driven, you know, um, with the right personality, you might be able to go in there and, and find a way to eliminate that negative culture and make that a, a great place to work easier because you only have to eliminate one person versus a, you know, a toxic location for a corporation that has 50 employees there that you have to weed out, you know, significantly more. Right. So uh, it's very, it's going to be very specific to the individual personalities. And I think anybody that's you know, looking at whether or not they should go into a corporate practice or a private practice really needs to first check and figure out what location. Not only that, but what are what do they need? Like what fulfills them? What what are the things they can live with? We talked about this other podcast, you know, things that that they need to be successful and then tailor that to whether it's a corporation or, you know, a private practice. If that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. And I think another big thing to consider is 
And this for you, especially since your finance background, you understand it better. But ultimately, and we've talked about this, no matter what intentions a a corporation has, um, even if they're still privately owned, if you have investors, you are still beholden to them. And so at some point when you are involved in the venture capitalist world or you're involved in, you know, big entities, there's going to be something that happens because of that, right? And so the dollar amount and the investment is going to have to be repaid at some point. And so I think just knowing if you're a part of a corporation that things will probably change over time potentially um, and you might eventually get sold or go public or something change that will affect overall how the business is run is important. Yeah, I completely agree. The same can happen for a small private practice as well, right? True, you go true. work for somebody and they decide, you know, in a whim that they're tired, want to want to retire, and they sell to, you know, some other random veterinarian or random random practice, and the same thing happens, right? You're going to have change of some sort, or maybe they've been status quo for 25 years and the practice is losing, you know, money every yeah. year because they haven't made any changes at all, right? So. That that's a that's a bad sign because you as a veterinarian or you you know as a uh, support staff working there can't get additional raises or whatever because of practices losing money. Right. So again, I, it just like the the dogs in the UK, it's hard to you know say all these need to be right. need to go away. I think it's the same can be said for corporate versus you know private practices. There's a lot of positives, a lot of negatives for both, and it's just going to be very dependent on what your needs are. Yes. And so ultimately, I think that for me personally, I really like the flexibility that working emergency offers me. I like the pay that I get working emergency and I love the open concept ER. So veg is the place for me when I'm practicing. Um, It fills my cup. It's exciting. It challenges me. I'm learning. I'm growing. Um, And my team in Dallas is just incredible and I really enjoy them. On the private practice side of things, I always loved being an associate, working with a small team, really getting to know pet owners, but I wanted more. And so I became an owner. And that also has helped my career just stay exciting. So I, at this point in time, like having a foot in both worlds still because it does, like you said, serve my needs that I have, um, both emotionally, financially, and, you know, just, um, mentally what I enjoy doing. If that ever changes, then I'll have to make a decision like where I'm going to end up ultimately, right? Yeah, that's a good point. You don't have to like make a decision and this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life either, right? right? So you have the ability to evolve and change and as your lifestyle changes or, you know, maybe you're young and single and you want to go work at a corporation where you can bounce around and then you fall in love and want to move to a small town in the middle of nowhere, well, you know, maybe a small corporation private practice is a place to be at that point. I mean, that is honestly one of the best parts of our degree is you literally can do anything with it. And so you can decide that. And we just hired a veterinarian who came from a corporate emergency specialty hospital and wants to work GP to spend more time with her kids, to have weekends off, to have holidays off. So again, a life stage change. So one of the biggest things I would encourage people to do is just not go into Uh, veterinary medicine thinking, I need to be this or that. I need to take this route or that because you don't know where your career is going to take you. And being open to opportunity and open to, you know, innovation and to challenging yourself is, I think, one of the things that can keep 
this career sustainable for a lot of people. Um, But you need to know what you want out of it. And we have a great podcast where we talk about what to look for when you're looking for a job. um, And that might be something that would also benefit uh, the person asking this question. But I think we pretty much covered a lot of the pros and cons. I know people have had really extreme experiences, like horrible experiences in both types of settings and had really wonderful ones. So I am happy and open to listen to anybody who wants to share their experiences. Again, this just comes from our perspectives in veterinary medicine. Um, And hopefully that helps, I don't know, shed a little light on what the experience can be. I always feel like um, we do a great job of not answering the question at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I feel like every time we wrap up a podcast. I think that we hopefully do a good job of showing all the different sides of a question. And if anyone ever wants just like a yes or no, we're not those people. Not right. Well, not. we'll give you a yes or no. but <laughs> We're going to give you context we're very, to it. We're very good at making a decision. And we saying, are. We are. That's but what I, we're doing. I think, like you said, not one thing works for everybody in this no. industry, which is why we have so many different types of practices and hospitals. But I do think there's a place for everyone in this industry if they're willing to look for what they need ultimately. So I would agree. We will leave it at that. If we didn't answer your question, you can always uh, (laughs) go ahead and message back and say, thanks for that. But but send us some follow up questions. Uh, We're on social media on all the platforms at questions with Crocker. You can watch us on YouTube. And if you want to leave a review, that would be amazing on Apple or Spotify. We'd love to hear back from you. We'd love your feedback um, and also love to know what you want us to talk about next time. So thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. 